Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Accounting Twins podcast. My name is Norma. My name is Becky. And today we are here with Jerry McGinnis. We are so excited to have him here. If you all don't remember, we read his book for our book club last semester not last semester, oh my goodness, um, over the past year. Becky, do you have a little thing to say about that? Norma and I had the most spectacular time reading his book called Advice for a Successful Career in the Accounting Profession, How to Make Your Assets Greatly Exceed Your Liabilities. Norma and I learned so much from this book in the time we read it. Norma as a college student, me as um, a new hire, and now Norma as she's starting her accounting career and we absolutely loved reading this. We have taken so much out of this and applied it to our lives. And we're so excited to have Jerry here to talk about it with us. Well, thank you, uh, Becky and Norma, for that kind intro and delighted to be with you today. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, Jerry, do, would you like to give everyone just like a little blurb about yourself, introduce yourself? Sure. Happy to. So, uh, yeah, I'm a CPA and an auditor by background and training. Spent uh, pretty much my whole career at KPMG in the Philadelphia office. And, you know, during the earlier stages of my career, I had a chance to work on a lot of different interesting clients. Um, nowadays, um, younger professionals seem to focus in on a certain industry sooner in their career. But back when I started, we were, we were a little bit more, we got to work on a lot of different types of clients. So I remember like the first two years of my career, I worked on a publicly traded toy manufacturing company. I had a shipping company. I had a Cadillac dealer. I had a construction company, a savings and loan, which is a type of bank. So really, it was a just rich learning environment. Every one of those organizations had like different accounting systems and processes and different people I was dealing with. So I learned a ton. And kind of moved up through the ranks, you know, became a manager, eventually became an audit partner. By that time, the firm was more focused on industry-specific service niches. And so my area of focus was venture capital-backed startup companies, which was fascinating because I got to work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Many of those companies went public and became much bigger organizations. Some of them failed, so I kind of got to see upfront and personal, you know, front lines of American business, how capital formation works. Um, a lot of those companies were innovating and creating jobs. So it was really, you know, great experience. After a while as a partner, I got asked to lead our audit practice in Pennsylvania. So that included our offices in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Harrisburg. We had about 400 professionals and about uh, 40 audit partners. And we served a lot of companies. We had 75 public company clients ranging from, you know, Fortune 500 companies down to recent IPO startups, life science companies. So great experience there. I mean, very different because now I was in a leadership role. So I had to worry about top line revenue growth, bottom line profitability, our client satisfaction, our audit quality, where are people having a good experience? So, you know, great, great opportunity to learn and develop my skills. And then after doing that job for about six years, Becky and Norma, the firm, asked me to become the managing partner of our Philadelphia office. And that was uh, really the last eight, nine years of my career. That was great because I now had a lot of exposure, not only to the audit side of the business, but also tax and advisory. And I can talk some more about that later, but um, finished up there. And then since retiring from KPMG a few years ago, I've stayed active in the business community. I'm serving on a couple 
corporate boards and chairing some audit committees and actually doing some consulting work for an accounting advisory firm here in the Philadelphia area. But probably one of the most rewarding things I've had the opportunity to do in this next phase is to get involved in a role called executive in residence at a local university called Rowan University. Um, I actually live here in South Jersey, about 35 minutes outside of Philadelphia. So Rowan's located here in South Jersey. And um, my role there has basically been to support their business school and specifically their accounting program. So during my time there, I've had the opportunity to meet with dozens and dozens and dozens of students preparing for an accounting career and just trying to be a resource to them, hearing about their issues, concerns, aspirations, and trying to answer their questions. And uh, in many ways, you know, that became the catalyst for writing the book. So I'll stop there and uh, happy, happy to kind of follow up on, you know, what prompted me to write the book, etc. Yeah, that's a, that was my next question of, you said it was a catalyst. So could you dive into a little deeper of what specifically drove you to write this book? Yeah, thanks for asking, Becky. So as I said, I, I would talk to these students and every student was kind of unique in terms of what was on their mind. Uh, Rowan attracts a lot of first generation college students, a very diverse student population. Many of them actually spent two years at community college and then transferred to Rowan. So, you know, they're, they're kind of all coming from a different place in terms of their background, experience, knowledge. And some of the conversations would be about, um, how do I get an internship? You know, should I take the CPA exam? What about public accounting versus private accounting? What about big four versus a regional firm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of the reasons I was very interested in listening to your podcast, right? Because as you know, there are a lot of different great paths and avenues to leverage your accounting degree. But, you know, I would meet with these students. I'd try and answer their various questions. And one day, about three years ago, I met with a student and they wanted to talk about the 150 hour requirement and taking the CPA exam. And we so we love great the 150 hour requirement talk. <laughs> we can come back oh, to yes. that. Um, we had a great conversation. They left my office and I leaned back in my chair and said to myself, gosh, I feel like that's about the 20th time I've had that same conversation. <laughs> and this light bulb went off and I said, I wonder if there's an opportunity to try and put down on paper some of the advice, tips, suggestions, conversations I'm having with these students in a way that could be leveraged more broadly beyond just Rowan University and maybe you know, be a resource to other young people who are contemplating a career in the profession. So that was really the catalyst to write the book. And um, once I got into it, I realized there's probably also a lot of material that might be relevant and helpful, not only for college students, but also for what I call early career professionals, which basically Absolutely. would be the two of you, like people in that first two, three, four years of their career, which is a great time to develop good habits and formative skills that are going to serve you well for a lifetime. So the way it wound yeah. up, as you know, because you both have been through the book, uh, the first section one, which is the first six chapters, is more focused on students preparing for a career. And then sections two and three are focused on folks who have launched their career and maybe are a little bit further along. Yeah, I think that's what I enjoy most about your book is because I started it while I was still in college during grad school. I still reference it now while I'm starting my career. I know I will be referencing it down the road and over the next few years. And that's what 
I enjoy the most. Would you say from your interactions with readers and students, what do you think that sec- what section do you think that the readers most benefit from your book from? Yeah, um, that's a that's a really great question, Norma. And um, reflecting on it, you know, so I'm blessed with nine grandkids. My wife and I just had our ninth grandchild about a month oh, or so congrats. ago. Congrats! And your question is a little bit like asking me which one of my nine grandkids is my favorite. <laughs> and of course, the true. answer to that is they all are, right? Uh, I love them mm-hmm. all dearly, and I would never say like I like this one more than that one. <laughs> I feel like in the book, like all the chapters hopefully are relevant relevant and useful. Mm-hmm. Maybe different people might find certain sections more valuable. But if you if you push me against the wall and said you need to pick your favorite, Jerry, in light of everything that's happening now with the talent shortage and the pipeline crisis, I would probably vote for chapter one, which as you may know or recall is entitled Why Accounting is a Great Profession. And in mm-hmm. that chapter, I lay out all the reasons why, right? And it's not just about the financial rewards. It's interesting work, challenging work, a pathway to other opportunities, a seat at the table. You're in the room when decisions are getting made. So um, I think we all need to do a better job of raising awareness about all the opportunities and benefits of this profession. And if we can do that, I think we can actually solve the talent shortage pretty quickly. But in a lot of parts of this country, particularly like inner cities where there's underrepresented populations, young people just simply don't know about the potential benefits of a career in accounting. So we need to change that. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And just colleges also showcasing that there is something outside of the big four. You don't always have to get your CPA. And so just seeing all the different things you mentioned you could do with accounting knowledge and accounting degree was beautiful, especially somebody who does private accounting. Being able to see that it is represented was beautiful. (laughs) I was going to say, knowing what you do with the accounting industry now, how you have seen students grow and learn, is there a chapter you would want to, if you could hypothetically add to the book to increase someone's knowledge or with things are changing, do you think there's something you may want to take away from the book? Yeah. That's a that's a good thought-provoking question, Becky. You know, when I was writing it, I tried to really think about like all the things that would be most relevant, helpful, kind of drawing on my own career experience and my many conversations with students. But I think one of the things I did that really helped was once I got done drafting like my manuscript, my first draft, I probably had about 15 different people read it and say like, okay, what am I missing? What could be improved? Is there anything I should take out? Is there anything you don't agree with? And I gave it to many of the students I I had talked to um, and also some folks who had started their career. So that early career professional group, I also had some former colleagues look at it and uh, got a lot of different perspectives and almost everyone who read it, you know, had some great feedback that I made changes, I made edits, I made additions. So I'm not saying it was perfect by the end of the day, but I am saying like I got a lot of really good input beyond my own thinking to kind of broadly address a lot of topics. So to answer your question specifically, I think as with any book, right, um, the profession moves so quickly that there may be an opportunity like in a second edition to update certain things. So as an example... 
and again, I'll come back to a favorite topic like the 150-hour rule, right, is under a lot of debate and pressure right now. There are proposals in Minnesota and other states to basically eliminate it. And in the book, I talk a lot about the 150-hour rule and how you can mm-hmm. achieve that requirement. So in a future edition, and there may well be a second edition, that might warrant some updating. Um, another good example might be in the chapter entitled Embrace Change, Technology is Your Friend. I do talk about artificial intelligence and its impact on the profession, but there's been so many developments in generative AI and ChatGBT, et cetera, since the book came out that in a second edition, I might give that a little more airtime, right? Um, so I think it would be mm-hmm. more in the nature of updating and keeping it current and fresh than let's say taking things out or, or adding new topics, if that makes sense. Got it. That, yeah. So I guess while we're on the topic, you had a career that like from start to finish, you did everything. You started as a staff, you are a partner, then you are a managing director. I think it would be important to get you, someone from who had the full-fledged career of an accountant. What is your opinion on the 150-hour rule? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for asking. So I didn't have 150 hours because back when I entered the profession, it wasn't required. So I had kind of the traditional 120. Obviously, I passed the exam back in, I'm certified in the state of Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania's requirement back then was you need to pass the exam, have a degree, minimum number of accounting credits, and two years of public accounting experience. So I satisfied Mm -hmm. all those requirements. I became a CPA. Um, I don't think I was not as good a CPA uh, as I might've been because I didn't have 150 credit hours. The reality is there's still a lot of um, very talented knowledgeable, successful CPAs out there who don't have 150 credit hours. It's really only in the last 20, 25 years, this has become the law of the land. Um, And Mm -hmm. as you know, and has been much discussed, the extra 30 hours in most states, they're not required to be in any particular um, relevant accounting or even business topic. So I think if we were going to try and retain this, we might want to have it more focused on um, accounting and business topics, you know, I've mixed emotions because I'm a, I tell, tell the students all the time at Rowan, like I'm a big believer in education. Like you can never get enough education. More education is better than less education. The business world is very complex and it continues to evolve very quickly. So staying current, staying knowledgeable, um, you know, is valuable. Getting advanced degrees is valuable. But on the other side, I fully understand and appreciate it's a barrier to entry, especially for some of those underrepresented populations that may be first-time college attendees, may be financing their education with student loans. That fifth year, you know, might cause them to just not pursue an accounting degree. So if, if you said, bottom line, Jerry, what do you think? I would say we definitely need to reevaluate and reconsider. I wouldn't say... Mm-hmm. You know, like what Minnesota is proposing, I like because they're leaving 150 as an option. You can go get a Mac and you can get your 150 and qualify that way. Or they're creating an alternative pathway that says, hey, you can get more practical experience in your 120. I like that model. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that creates more opportunity for more people. And particularly in a world where we have this talent crisis, pipeline crisis, we need to be looking at alternative pathways. 
So long story mm -hmm. short, um, I wouldn't say eliminate the 150, but I would say let's create some alternative pathways, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Something that you said that I think is like what people who are reevaluating re the 150 hour rule should look at is you yourself didn't have 150 hours and you were incredibly successful in your career. So I think people need to look at that as an example. He did so much, he didn't have the 150 hour rule. Maybe we need to reevaluate because the 150 hour rule might be limiting people to even want to get those opportunities like you did. Yep, yep. And at a time yeah. where, you know, there's clearly a shortage, um, we need to be open-minded, right? And not dig our heels in the sand and say, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it always must be. I think we need to be open to new approaches, new ideas. Mm -hmm. I think you said it so beautifully, just the whole idea of the 150-hour rule. And yes, Norman, I've touched on it. We'll probably a lot. touch on it more <laughs> in future episodes because I've got some opinions too. But I think you said it so beautifully. And to, <laughs> I guess, turn away from the 150 hour rule, maybe go back into the books. I kind of had a question. I was curious, based on what you know, what is one piece of advice you've given within your book that you would hope people follow the most? Not like the favorite chapter of like, what is accounting, but what is one piece of advice that you feel people should take a little more time thinking about and put more thought into? Yeah, I mean, um, really throughout the book, I try and provide a lot of different advice on a lot of different topics. But if, again, you sort of said, give me your top one, Jerry, I would probably focus on um, the advice about asking for feedback. You know, I think at KPMG, by way of example, we had a pretty robust performance management system. So at the beginning of the year, every professional sat down with their performance manager and you know, wrote down their goals and discussed their goals and agreed to, this is what I'm going to accomplish this year. It was all documented in a form. And then we had a mid-year review where six months into the year, you'd sit with your performance manager again. How are you doing versus your goals? Do we need to make any course corrections? Are you behind in any areas? Do you need any help? You know, um, very proactive meeting. And then at year end, we would have a final discussion. Okay, how do we do? Did we achieve our goals? If not, why not? Let's start talking about next year. And then that led into compensation, promotion, et cetera. So pretty robust, but in reality, far too infrequent in my mind, right? If I'm out, I'm a young professional, I'm out working on an engagement and I'm not doing something as well as I could, or maybe I'm not considering something I should consider. I want to get that feedback right away. I don't want to wait six months. So I always mm -hmm. tell young folks, like, ask for feedback. Ask your colleagues. Ask your client. Ask those you're interacting with. And not every day, not every week, but periodically, you know, usually informal, right? Like maybe you're grabbing a cup of coffee or whatever. Hey, how am I doing? Anything I could be doing better, different? I mean, everybody is so busy. Um, I think everybody's well-intentioned, but because they're so busy, they might not proactively provide the feedback. But most people, if you ask them, will take a minute to say, you know, Becky, you're doing this really well. Norma, have you thought about this? And you can have a meaningful conversation and course correct quickly and not wait six months to find out, hey, you're not doing what you could be doing better. So, yeah, asking for feedback, I think, is incredibly report important. That's a good Thing to say so i just had my 90-day review at work and it was good i got a lot of positive feedback and one of the discussions that i had 
with my career advisor and with the managing partner was, yes, we we have something called feed forwards, where at the end of every engagement, you get feedback on how you work. But maybe you could be able, I could be a little bit more proactive. And uh, after my engagement, have a discussion with my in charges about what I did. So instead of receiving the feedback just on a piece of paper and the feed forward, have a discussion so I can hear the great things I did and what I didn't and be able to have a game plan, I guess, on how to work um, better going forward. And I know that's going to be hard for me because it's not that I don't like getting feedback because I want to improve, but then I just get disappointed like, oh, I didn't do the best that I could. So I know going forward, I do need to ask for feedback and um, reading it in your book and hearing you now say that how important feedback is, that just solidifies to me going forward. I should ask for it more. Yeah, it's well said, Norma. And, you know, another important thing to keep in mind is like, so you're in public accounting, you're providing a professional service to your clients. It's really a great idea for the firm to periodically ask the client, how are we doing? Is this is this a user friendly yeah. experience? You know, is there anything we could be doing better or different? And Becky, in your world, same thing applies, right? You're in the accounting finance function, but you have different constituencies throughout the company you're interacting with and supporting. And so periodically saying, is this working well? Is there anything we could do to enhance this experience for you? People really appreciate it when you take the time to ask them, how's it going? Could this be better? And they'll usually tell you too. So it's kind of a win-win situation. To your point, Norma, sometimes it can be a little unpleasant getting that feedback. <laughs> um, at KPMG, we had something called upward feedback and it was anonymous. And basically every year, my partners got to sort of give me feedback that was um, anonymous. And I would get a list of like literally 60, 70 comments. And sometimes I would read them and I would kind of wince and say, really? <laughs> I don't think you really know or appreciate all the facts there. But then I'd read them again and I'd reflect on them and I'd think about them and try and think about them from the other person's perspective. And more often <laughs> than not, you know, it was valid stuff and it helped me kind of enhance what I was trying to do and working with my colleagues. So feedback's incredibly important. Yeah. One thing I've told Norma is when she was honestly pretty nervous going into her 90-day review because, again, nobody likes bad feedback. And I was like, you're not always going to get 100% on an exam, so you're not always going to get fabulous feedback. There's always things you can improve on. You can get a 94 on an exam, but you can think about what could I do to get 6% better and be 100%. But there's always room for improvement. As much as we want to be perfect, we are not always perfect. Yeah, and I think specifically for public accounting, you know, I'm sorry, but I do not know a lot Come like, because there's such a big learning curve. I still have so many things to learn. There's always going to be feedback because there's so many things you don't know. So my in charge on one of my clients, he gave me feedback on stuff to do. And at first I was like, I was, I was so upset. I left. I was like, uh, I was like, thank you so much. Went to the bathroom, shed a few tears because I was so upset. And then I spoke to him after about that. He's like, it's not personal and you're doing great. This is just how you could be even better and it's not it's nothing against you or your work it's also you genuinely like don't know what you don't know so I'm giving you the feedback so you can just do better over time so I think it's also important for people who are receiving feedback to know it's only going to make you better and it's it's because people want to see you do better it's not because they want to want to be like no you did this wrong they want to be like here's what you did wrong and here's how you can be better 
It's well said, Norma. And, you know, in my experience, top performing organizations and individuals have a continuous improvement mindset. So Mm -hmm. no matter how good they are, they're always striving to get better and they're never satisfied. Um, At KPMG, we kind of baked into our performance reviews every year, a discussion around um, what I call development needs. So some people would say weaknesses, right? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? I never liked that terminology weakness because I viewed it more as an opportunity. How can I get better? So what are my development needs? And we all have them. I mean, I've been in this profession 40 years. I probably still have some today, some things I could do better or different because the world changes, evolves, are you staying current? So yeah, I think it's a good self-reflection question too to periodically say, what are my development needs? What do I wanna focus on this year? Maybe it's a CPE course I could take because my client's using derivative instruments and that's pretty complex stuff and I don't really understand derivatives. So I've got a development need there. Let me go get some education. Oh, yes. Back on the feedback part, I guess one of the parts you mentioned is like communication between um, how you can develop your communication and also be receptive to somebody's communication. Our generations have very different gaps of communication and I'm noticing that even within my job and Norma is noticing that within her jobs I would say it's you should meet in the middle not always so like I should never have to completely change my communication style for somebody else's and they shouldn't have to change for me I'm more of a meet in the middle kind of person do you agree with how things are altering granted most communications these days for work is on zoom or over a chat it's not really in person that much these days Yes. So great topic. Communication is a two-way street, right? It involves Mm -hmm. two individuals that both need to feel like the format of those conversations is productive, useful, uh, user-friendly. So it would be, in my opinion, like um, unfortunate if somebody in a supervisory role, like a partner or manager said, well, this is the way we're going to communicate. And this is my style and my approach. And I don't really care what you like. Like it needs to be two way to be effective. So there should be some dialogue about what works best. And you know, it's such an important topic, Becky. I, I devoted, as you probably recall, a chapter in the book to communication because there's all different types of communication. You know, there's written, there's verbal. In the world we live in today, people are still working remotely. So it's Zoom meetings, it's Microsoft Teams, or it's face to face. And the other observation I would make is, you know, we live in such a busy, distracted world, right? Everybody's multitasking. And so sometimes you think you're communicating effectively, but the audience may not actually be embracing what you're saying or even understanding what you're saying. You know, it might be kind of flying over their head. So um, listening is a really important skill set. A lot of people think Mm -hmm. communication is about like, I'm talking to you, I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you, but I also need to be listening to what you're telling me. And in my experience, at the risk of generalizing, uh, a lot of people are not good listeners. Um, So focusing on listening skills is a great way to enhance your overall communication skills. And I think I actually talk about that a little bit in the book. You can't be effective if you're not even listening to what is being said to you, because otherwise it seems like more of a defensive standpoint. You're just talking. You're not really understanding what is being said to you. And especially, I found this so pertinent in my um, in working 
that you need to be effective at listening because you're going to have to recall this information. A lot of the times I was at a client a few weeks ago and my in-charge and I were talking with the client and like, I'm a great listener, but I need to hone in on my skills trying to be like, I'm going to effectively take in all of this information before I start thinking about what I'm going to do with it. Cause I found that they were saying something. I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And I was missing out on what they were saying. So then my recall was so bad. And Jeff and I, my in charge were always like, Norma, you need to work on your recall. So it's not only great because then you're being effective. So then you can talk back to them, but then you need to work on your listening so you can work on what you're doing and improving. And yeah, just a quick, quick suggestion on that because i think some people get so embroiled in the conversation like they're very focused on what they're going to say next and they're thinking about Mm -hmm. that more so than listening to what the other person is saying but a real advantage is when you have a colleague in the meeting with you because you Mm -hmm. can chat beforehand and say okay look do me a favor you focus on sort of taking some notes here making sure you're listening carefully capturing what is the client or your colleague is saying and I can take the lead in leading the conversation. That doesn't mean you can't chime in, but let's make sure when we leave the meeting, we just have a quick debrief and compare notes. What did you hear? What did I hear? And collectively, we'll probably capture most of what we need to. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, I will use word when I'm at my client this upcoming week. <laughs> I'm a big fan of note-taking because kind of capturing it real time is, is great. And you're not going to get every word, but even if you jot down just some key ideas or concepts that the other person's talking about, then you can at mm. least reconstruct effectively afterwards. Oh, yes. I love note-taking so, so much. One thing I've really taken away from this interview is like, you are great at giving advice. You have so much experience, you know, so many things and you're a great communicator. And I know we talked earlier about a potential second book and like in your brain of what you would want to add. Have you ever considered or just thought of maybe even writing a book for people who are well into their career about how to improve, how to be a great leader, something like that? Because I know like five years down the road, I would love another book from you that would help me become a better person, a better leader, a better employee. Well, I appreciate your kind words for sure, Becky. Thank you. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I was a first time author when I wrote this book and mm-hmm. you know, writing the book was a great learning experience, but then the process of getting the book published was sort of interesting too, because I'd never <laughs> gone through that before. I didn't really know what was involved. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get a book published these days, like Amazon and others have self-publishing options. But want, somebody who actually kind of kindly read my manuscript said to me, you know, you really ought to submit this to one of the major publishing houses. You know, the odds may be against you because you're a first time author, but give it a shot. Like, what do you got to lose? So that's exactly what I did. I sent it to Wiley, which is a pretty big company, been around for 100 plus years, you know, global and uh, to my shock and surprise, they said, we like your manuscript. We want to make an <laughs> offer for the book. And so I was thrilled. And But then what, what then happened was basically a contractual negotiation where we worked out the business terms. And they have a very kind of standard contract they've probably been using forever because they've been in this business a long time. And nothing against Wiley, but like a lot of... Um, standard contracts it was very kind of favorable to them and i don't want to say one-sided mm-hmm. but like a lot of the provisions because of their experience they were 
addressing things that might be beneficial to them. Some of them we wound up negotiating. Um, I actually engaged a lawyer to help me with that. Another story for another day. But one of the provisions in there was, if you ever write another book, we're going to be your publisher. Mm. So they were kind of sort of locking you up for the future. But that got me thinking about, well, would I ever write another book? And I really enjoyed writing this book. I've really enjoyed, like, after the book came out, some of the things I've been doing. So I think the short answer is, yes, I'd like to write another book and uh, probably would have something to do with the profession just because I've spent my career there. I mean, Mm -hmm. you referenced leadership and um, leadership to me is a fascinating topic. I'm I'm a little bit of a student of leadership. I've read a lot of books about leadership, great leaders. I have a lot of thoughts about leadership. So Maybe there's an opportunity there to incorporate some leadership principles, some things that have worked well for me. But uh, yeah, I definitely have to give it some thought. So any suggestions would be welcome. I would just love to read a book about you talking about leadership because Becky and I took so much away from your book just on how to start your career. I think hearing your perspective and advice on how to become a leader within your career that would be so helpful because I genuinely learned so much from your book and the way you present things that if you had a book on leadership, I would be your, I would be your biggest fan. <laughs> I mean, well, I already am, but I would be like taking that book to the grave with me. I would love that. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Norma, again for those kind words. And until my book comes out, I'll give you a book suggestion on if you like mm-hmm. books on leadership. So there was a famous basketball coach. You may never have heard of him because he was a little before your time, but his name was John Wooden. And John Wooden coached at UCLA back in the 1970s, and he won 10 consecutive, not 10 consecutive, but 10 overall NCAA men's basketball championships. And he came out with a book after he retired called Wooden on Leadership, where he applied a lot of his coaching principles in basketball to business. And it's a really good book. I would highly recommend it um, because a lot of those leadership principles and skills, I think, are transferable. And there's a lot of sage advice in there. And he was obviously a very successful individual. So if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, that sounds good. I, if As you all know, I love to read. Uh, genuinely, I think I've read 100, book this, 100 books this year. So this is just another one that I will add to my list. I might not get to it until I'm done with my CPA exams because that's coming soon, but I would love to. <laughs> so I, think I will you definitely got your priorities that. right. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear you're such an avid reader. You, you may recall, I talk a lot about that in the book too, but I think reading has become a lost art and yet it's so yes. important to your personal development, growth and knowledge. Um, I mm-hmm. encourage all the young people I talk to, to, to read, not just the snippets that you get on social media, but get beyond the headlines and really get into more substantive analysis. Agreed. Yeah. I read on the counter side, I've read like five books this year, but granted <laughs> two of them have been in the past month. So I'm making headway. Wow, and this one impressive. has been the most important one to me. <laughs> 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 this one has been the most impactful, the most important. Sometimes if I'm having like a day at work and I just need like a pick me up, like a, you're doing good. What can you do better? I'll just kind of reach for it and be like, find an applicable topic and just let it settle. Well, mm, I'm flattered. And uh, I think on one of your podcasts, 
you were both talking about it and you referred to it as a self-help book for accountants. Yep. And I yes, it exactly a, is. That was high praise. I appreciated that. I, I never really, mm-hmm. uh, when I was writing it, didn't, didn't envision it that way, but I'll take that because uh, that's great feedback. I actually recommended your book to one of our old sorority sisters. I found out she got into the Elder College of Management and was doing accounting, and I congratulated her. I was just like, I know you have, like, a lot of decisions to make within – well, not decisions, but if you want to decide, like, what you want to do accounting-wise, I was like, read this book because it will be helpful, like, introducing you to what you want to know and do, and it will be with you, like, throughout the beginning of your career, and I think she's starting to read it, so I'm really excited. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for uh, letting her know about it. You know, one of the Mm -hmm. nicer forms of feedback I've had on the book is um, some people have said to me, Jerry, you know, this is great for accountants, but actually a lot of what's in here we think maybe broadly applies to any young person launching a business career because Mm -hmm. a lot of the advice is not really accounting specific. I mean, section one has a lot of accounting specific discussion, but when you get into things Mm -hmm. like have a value creation mindset, the importance of relationships, good communication skills, working effectively with others, um, these are all topics that have broad applicability. So um, who knows, maybe it'll even help a few non-accountants. I think I think it would. There's a lot that it, it is specific to accounting, but also if you are going to be in any career, any business career, it's just it's a great way to step up your game or become more effective. Exactly. Even just the communications, how to outrun um, artificial intelligence. Like you can cherry pick, I guess, from maybe you can just like take out the word accounting and replace it with finance. With management, like this can be so applicable to everybody. It's a universal book. It's a self-help book. And I love it. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Becky and Norma. I appreciate it. Of course. I guess wrapping it up a little bit, since you have had a very successful, a very valuable and important career, what is one of the most impi- impactful lessons you have learned and you would want other people like Norma and I to know and to follow and to really think about? Gosh, uh, so many lessons learned over the course of my career. Um, I, I just think like relationships, right? There's a chapter in the book about relationships. Relationships can be so instrumental to your career success, growth. And I think the mistake that maybe some younger folks make is, you know, they're trying to pass the CPA exam. They're trying to do a good job with their employer. They're very focused on kind of developing their technical skills and learning all the things they need to learn. And and that's important. And I wouldn't suggest that's not a good use of your time, but keep, keep a certain amount of time devoted to building relationships, right? Like stay in touch with your friends from college. They're going to, you know, advance their careers as well. And five, 10 years from now, they might be your client normally, you know, so maintain those relationships, go to networking events, join organizations that are relevant to maybe your career path where you can meet other young professionals that you might be able to benefit from knowing down the line or maybe help them. So Norma, when you become a CPA, I would encourage you to join the, I guess, Arizona State CPA Society. That's a great place to develop relationships and have access to resources that can help your career. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I would focus on relationships. Relationships are just so important. I think again, to just about any business or profession, but particularly accounting, 
you know, if you stay with the firm, Norma, at some point, they're going to expect you to start bringing in some clients. So it doesn't hurt oh, to yes. know a few people. And yes, yeah. Becky, she may be calling you. We'll <laughs> <laughs> add one more call to the many calls that we have, even though we still live together. <laughs> Literally. She's going to call you to see if she can pick up some business from your company, Becky. <laughs> that would be so funny. The accounting oh podcast, go to the accounting client and um, auditor podcast, I guess you would call it. There you go. Just like 30 years down the line, we're still doing this. <laughs> would, that, would that be neat? I guess one last question that I have for you that doesn't even like necessarily relate to the book, but I just want to know more about you. I would say... This is going to be a broad, very broad question, but I guess what would you say was one of your most favorite memories from your career? Something that you just look back and you're like, I loved this. Yeah. Um, boy, so many, you know, so many great <laughs> memories. Um, I, I would say like probably the highlight of my career at KPMG was the last eight years when I was in that managing partner role because Philadelphia mm-hmm. was a pretty big office. We had over a thousand professionals and so I was working with everyone from the newest intern to the admin team to the most senior partners across all of our businesses, audit tax advisory. I got a chance to spend a lot of time with our clients, a lot of time in the marketplace trying to grow our firm, a lot of time in the community. We had all sorts of initiatives to give back. Um, so it was just, it was a lot of fun, frankly. I'm I'm uh, the type of person that kind of enjoys shaking hands and kissing babies. So I was out <laughs> in the community and making the rounds and on the black pie circuit. And uh, I really enjoyed those years. Now, you know, you never rest on your laurels, right? So I will tell you, I am having just as much fun in this next phase. One of the real benefits of writing the book is that once it got out there and people heard about it, I've had quite a few requests to speak. So like in the last year, I visited probably about 25 colleges and universities all across the United States to talk to their accounting students and professors. I've spoken with high school students. I've spoken at industry events. I just had a call yesterday, asked me to go up to Boston to speak, which I'm probably going to do. And every time I go out and interact with those young students or professionals, like I learn something new, they'll ask me a question. So it's fun. And, uh, hope I'll have an opportunity to keep doing that. Oh, good. That's nice to hear that. Favorite moments from the past, but also part of it is now. Yeah, That's for sure. Like. It's, uh, yeah. it's good stuff. But I've really enjoyed uh, spending some time with you. Thanks for the thought-provoking questions. So excited to hear both of your careers are going well. I think you have very bright futures. And, Thank um, you. I'm going to keep listening to the podcast, too. Thank you. We were so glad to have you today. You are such an insightful and resourceful person and have been such a great, not just a LinkedIn connection, just like a, hi, we know Jerry, like to create a relationship with you and be able to hear from you has been so important to Norma and I, and you have been so pivotal in the beginning of our early careers. And we want to thank you so much for all you have done for us and other young people out there. Well, again, Thank you're you very so kind, Becky and Norma, and I appreciate it. But I'll I'll say let's leave the door open as your careers progress. You know, if I can ever be yes. helpful, you know how to get a hold of me. Don't hesitate to reach out and happy to, you know, have a conversation at any point. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do another interview soon because I feel like we still have so many questions to talk about, whether it be like the 150 hour rule technology, like even just being able to interview you instead of you in your book, I think would be absolutely amazing. I would love to do that in the future. Yeah, more than happy to come back. You guys have been great hosts and I would enjoy the, the dialogue. Yeah, sounds great. So that was another successful interview for the Accounting Twins podcast. We are so thankful that Jerry was able to meet with us. Again, we met him in, uh, I think it was June, July, um, here in Arizona, and just being able to interview him again. And we look forward to recording another episode, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Same here. Take care, everyone. <laughs>